Welcome to today's edition of the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm your host, Lori Boyer. In addition to feature reports, I'll bring you a look at regional and national agricultural news. And the show starts right after this. We know it's been tough managing inputs and resources lately. That's why we're inviting you to the Inputs Ag Summit on January 10th in Fresno, California. This event is a lifeline for specialty crop growers, PCAs, CCAs, and applicators alike. It's your opportunity to get help in today's challenging landscape. What will you find at the Input Ag Summit? Cost-saving seminars, networking with experts, special panel discussions, and solutions for hard times. Visit myaglife.com backslash events today to sign up for this new and exciting conference. Following the disastrous season impacted by an onslaught of ligus, the California Cotton Jenners and Growers Association's President Roger A. Isom, Assistant Vice President Priscilla Rodriguez, and First Vice Chairman Gary Martin traveled to Sacramento to meet with officials from the California Department of Food and Agriculture and the California Department of Pesticide Regulation. The primary topics were the status of the registration of Transform and PQZ, as PQZ is used to control aphid and whitefly and is currently registered at the federal level by the Environmental Protection Agency. Unfortunately, California has stricter standards and currently it has been unable to pass the tougher California groundwater standards. CDPR did inform the leaders that Transform is also being held up due to a lawsuit despite a stricter label negotiated between the association and CDPR. At the federal level, EPA is reviewing the latest proposed mitigations for the Endangered Species Act from Corteva. There seemed to be an indication that they are close but would most likely be ready for approval in 2025 and not in 2024. The shared pictures of impacted fields as well as preliminary yielded data that indicated statewide average yields less than two bales per acre. CDPR held fast to their position. In response, the association is renewing its discussion with both the state and federal legislature as they fight to get these important tools into the hands of California growers. The U.S. Department of Agriculture has filed an administrative complaint against California Fresh Citrus Company for alleged violations of the Perishable Agricultural Commodities Act. The company operating in California allegedly failed to make payment promptly to two produce sellers in amount of just over $1,128,000 from March of 2019 through March of 2020. CFCC will have the opportunity to request a hearing should USA find that the company committed repeated and flagrant violations. It would be barred from the produce industry as a licensee for three years or two years with the posting of a USDA-approved surety bond. Furthermore, its principals could not be employed by or affiliated with any PACA licensee for two years or one year with the posting of a USDA-approved surety bond. It's a mixed bag of news for California farmers. In the citrus industry, California is expected to produce more than twice the number of oranges as Florida in 2022 and 2023. Prices for California oranges and lemons are up during the holiday season. Valley Naval orange prices are reported to be higher for many sizes, just below the previous year's strong prices. Lemons are also experiencing strength compared to the last few years. In a stone fruit category, peach, plum, and nectarine growers are closely monitoring the situation with pre- Wawona, a major player in the industry that declared bankruptcy. The company, now owned by private equity firm Payne Schwartz, announced the possibility of being sold through a court-supervised auction process this month with 15,000 acres of tree fruit in the San Joaquin Valley and a significant packing house in Cutler, Tulare County. The industry hopes for a resolution before the 2024 season. Increased costs, weather-related impacts, and allegations of mismanagement have contributed to the company. 
In the walnut industry, many growers are facing an uncertain future after several years of declining prices, averaging well below the break-even point. Growers have responded by removing thousands of acres of trees. Processors reportedly prefer only specific walnut varieties, leading to challenges for growers. The recent walnut cash-selling season in Tulare County experienced low prices and limited processor demand, resulting in fewer gleaners collecting leftover nuts after harvest. Factors contributing to the challenges include oversupply of trees, high tariffs, port backups, tougher overseas competition, and heat affecting nut quality. The USDA reported the total 2022 California walnut crop purchased from producers at 677,999 tons with an average price of 30.4 cents per pound. Growers received $3 a pound five years ago. As part of the Walnut Bargaining Association, some growers are advocating for not accepting prices lower than 60 cents a pound for good quality Chandler walnuts, though this is considered a marginal and unprofitable price for many. A more favorable price around 80 cents a pound is suggested to be helpful for growers. Congressman Jim Costa is celebrating the anniversary of the Farm to Food Future Initiative, a critical program funded by a $65 million federal grant. He said one year ago they secured the largest federal investment in the Central Valley to invest in communities and fuel agricultural technology and workforce innovation. Now those federal investments are developing new technologies, improved farm productivity, and good-paying jobs in underserved communities. He says he is proud to see these federal dollars developing a vibrant, more inclusive economy for the people of the the Central Valley. The F3 initiative was submitted to the U.S. Economic Development Administration's Build Back Better Regional Challenge in October of 2021. The EDA received 529 applications from regions in all 50 states and five territories. On September 2nd of 2022, President Joe Biden announced its awardees and named the F3 initiative as the recipient of $65.1 million in federal funding, the largest federal grant ever awarded to the Central Valley and the only project awarded funding in California. California. Costa was the only member of the Valley delegation who voted to pass the American Rescue Plan, which funded this project, and he supported this project from the beginning by working with local, state, and federal partners to advocate for the Valley getting this much-needed and deserved investment, according to information from his office. The F3 initiative is focused on implementing agricultural technology, climate-smart initiatives, and workforce development in the Valley through industry-university research partnerships to develop sustainable food production solutions, agri food technology commercialization, workforce development and agri-food technology, and inclusive innovation and economic development for Central Valley small businesses. To amplify the project's success, U.S. Assistant Secretary of Commerce for Economic Development Alejandra Castillo visited the Central Valley to provide resources and assistance for interested partners. We're waking up to a new dawn in agriculture, a better way farmers stop working the soil and start working with it. At Huma, our carbon-rich, humate-based products improve soil health and fertility, deliver nutrients more efficiently, and reduce crop input costs. Welcome to Humix Solutions with a Human Touch. Visit Huma.us to learn more. We definitely, in the regenerative plantings, see more CO2 coming out of the soil. 
Um, and now the quality of the data is better because we're actually measuring it better because we learned, you know, with that failing forward process initially that we need to do a better job of capturing the CO2 right as it comes out of the ground. And so it doesn't mix with, uh, you know, wind and stuff like that. So, um, but I do think it's going to be a great tool in our trials, you know, looking at our cultural practices, looking at our inputs and looking at all those things and seeing what the impact is. Eric Morgan with Braga Fresh, which was just awarded along with ag tech company Agrology, the annual Science and Technology Circle of Excellence Award presented by the International Fresh Produce Association. They're the first grower to install Agrology's Arbiter Carbon Monitoring System on their regenerative crop trials with the goal of monitoring, measuring, and quantifying soil carbon flux and soil respiration and key indicators of soil microbiome health and activity. So what we're measuring is CO2 flux in and out of the soil. And so a healthy soil respires higher levels of CO2. And, and really when agrology approached me, you know, a year and a half ago or so, they had a, a really great product for wine grape growers that detected wildfire smoke. And I said, I don't, I'm not concerned about that in my market. I want to start to look at, at, at seeing how much carbon is coming out of the soil through CO2 and then, you know, have someone build a model or machine learning or AI to start to, you know, use other data sets to, you know, model how CO2 fluctuations in now the soil can actually gauge carbon sequestration. And they liked the idea and ran with it. And so, yeah, we did have the first prototype in, in our fields. Um, we kept it in a regenerative stuff, but really the way that I'm looking at it now is it's really a great tool in the toolbox that's going to help us answer a whole lot of questions. Um, and we're excited to see where we can take it. Morgan was transparent and noted successes as well as failures with using and analyzing data from the carbon monitoring system. He said in Braga's regenerative trials, he was surprised how much CO2 was coming up at certain times of the day and how the monitoring system technology was adapted to analyze this. I was seeing really high levels of CO2 between like midnight and 4 a.m. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, the, the soil is coming alive at night. Well, that's actually not what happened. What was happening is that the wind would stop. And we were actually getting a really good reading. And so um, that team figured all that out and changed, um, you know, and really went away from just a single sensor above the soil to where now they have a soil chamber and you can actually kind of see the soil breathe CO2 in and out. And then there's a, another sensor that's a bit higher up in the canopy. And you can actually see that when you have higher levels of, of CO2 coming from the soil, that your plants will actually take in more CO2. They actually prefer more CO2 than what we have in our, ap in our atmosphere and, and background levels. So um, it's been interesting to see that. Um, but really, you know, for next year, it, it's going to be, you know, really looking at, you know, what products uh, do we have in our trialing program and do these new biologically based products, you know, create increased levels of carbon, uh, CO2, you know, respiration from the soil. Um, but as far as like, you know, it, it, we've only been doing this for a little over a year, right? But we definitely, in the regenerative plantings, see more CO2 coming out of the soil. 
Um, and now the quality of the data is better because we're actually measuring it better because we learned, you know, with that failing forward process initially that we need to do a better job of capturing the CO2 right as it comes out of the ground. And so it doesn't mix with, uh, you know, wind and stuff like that. So, um, but I do think it's going to be a great tool in our trials, you know, looking at our cultural practices, looking at our inputs and looking at all those things and seeing what the impact is. And then of course, obviously to get good data, you want to replicate, you know, if, if you start to see something, you know, replicate it and get more data so you can add accuracy to your conclusions. The monitoring system also tracks irrigation events, soil moisture, and other climate data points, which Morgan said are also important to understanding how carbon is sequestered. When the irrigation event it takes place and to what degree is going to be huge. You know, um, you know, the, the temperature outside, you, there's going to be a lot of factors that likely go into the model that they create that will probably include those parameters. But for us, it's also a good tool, you know, to see that the water's running and see what the soil temperature is. And, you know, uh, you know, all of those different, you know, that are more standardized, um, you know, instrument measurements that we already have in farming but really leveraging that data for a different goal uh, when you start to add in, you know, CO2 flux as a measurement. Morgan had this to say about Braga's motivation for participating in the regenerative agriculture movement, noting it might take a while for the market and consumer to catch up, but that it is the future of agriculture. It's going to be key to continuing to adapt to changing regulatory and climate landscapes. I think that the market will get there. I think the consumer will get there. But really, for me, what has been driving this is is my passion, is the environmental regulations that we're facing. Um, and, and, and in my tenure, seeing, you know, the loss of pesticides on the conventional side, you know, we have new neonic regulations that are coming down the road after the first of the year. Um, the, the water board, each region has their own water board issues. And to me, one of the common denominators that, you know, we have that is creating environmental issues is tillage. And so, you know, I'm kind of really want to address how we look at tillage um, and see, you know, how improving, changing, reevaluating tillage operations can help us meet those environmental milestones. You know, 2050 is the, the roadmap to sustainable pest management in the state of California. And I don't think that there's any products that we have available right now that will be available in 2050. And they're going to want us to use biologicals and they're going to want us to, to harness the natural system. And I will say that there's something to it. Um, there's something to a healthy soil. There's something to a healthy plant. There's something to, you know, high levels of CO2 coming from your soil. And, you know, in my background, really primarily, you know, I, I have an organic specialty, obviously, but, you know, I started off in conventional stuff and, you know, have, have, you know, written methylbromide recommendations and everything else. But to me on, on the environmental regulation side, the writing's on the wall and it's on us to adapt. And I don't want to be the last one you know, holding out and not have the answers. I prefer to pursue alternate answers right now and see if we can get there a little bit ahead of time because it's it's painful when government pulls the carpet out from underneath you and it's going to happen and it's happening every day um, to some degree. And and whether that's warranted or not, it's it doesn't matter. It's not under my control. So really, how can we adapt our practices, mindset, um, you know, get new science, leverage new science to meet these goals. And, 
because um, to me, you know, have it fighting, you know, against what the water board wants locally for the last 10 years or more really haven't seen any progress. Um, and, and it's getting harder every day. Um, so really what can we do looking at things with a completely different perspective to try to move things forward? And that's the goal. And I, I do think that the regenerative mindset really addresses a lot of those things. You're listening to my ag life. I'm Taylor Charlstrom. We're thrilled to announce that the North Valley Nut Conference is taking place on January 31st at Silver Dollar Fairgrounds in Chico, California. This event is held in conjunction with University of California Cooperative Extension. It's a golden opportunity for professionals in the tree nut industry. Network with our exhibitors and sponsors who are committed to your success in the orchard. Earn valuable continuing education units and expand your knowledge on the latest industry trends. Listen to our expert speakers, share valuable insights and practical advice, but attendance is filling up fast. So make sure you visit myaglife.com backslash events and register today. We hope to see you there. Senator Chuck Grassley, a Republican from Iowa, and Representative Chip Roy, a Republican from Texas, called on Senate and House leadership to address several important topics in writing a new farm bill. They're asking leaders to address the impacts of inflation, waste and farm and nutrition programs, and foreign influence in U.S. agriculture. In a letter to leaders in both chambers, they say the administration and its reckless spending have led the U.S. to record inflation. By making conservative reforms to key programs, they will be able to tame inflation while also keeping in place a responsible safety net for U.S. farm families. They're also calling for the reforms to the SNAP program by citing a $1.2 trillion price tag and grow error rate. They're also urging Congress to bring more accountability to the USDA's Commodity Credit Corporation, which they say is a bureaucratic slush fund and oversight would save $8 billion a year over 20 years. The National Milk Producers Federation Senior Vice President of Member Services and Governance, Chris Galen, provides an update on the federal milk marketing order. USDA has been holding a hearing since the end of August on ideas and proposals to revamp the federal milk marketing order system. And so, as I said, they took a break in November. It resumed here just last week. Uh, This week, they are meeting in the suburbs of Indianapolis, but it's going to go into hiatus yet again here after December 8th until sometime probably mid-January. We're hoping that most of the work is done. Uh, what they've been focusing on here this week and last, Lori, is, is National Milk's proposal to update Class 1 differentials in all the counties, of which there are th- over 3,000, all the counties in the U.S. And so there's a lot of individual examination even at the county county level of our proposal. And so that's kind of drawing out the hearing. But once this gets done, which hopefully will be early in 2024, USDA then has to digest all of the information they have had already, and it's not even done yet, something like 10,000 pages, uh, a transcript of 10,000 pages from the hearing. So a lot of witness testimony for the agency to digest. And then they come out with a Recommended proposal, which then is open to the industry for comment and come, go back and come out with a final proposal that will go to farmers to vote on. Galen says National Milk is hoping the changes will be done and finalized by this time next year. Ag lawmakers pressed for their farm bill priorities at a Members' Day House Ag hearing held recently. Lower crop insurance premiums, pesticide labeling reforms, and support for cover cropping were among the lawmakers' farm bill asks. Chicago-area Representative Sean Kasten says his bipartisan cover bill would build on a successful pandemic cover crop program. 
by incentivizing the planting of cover crops on a voluntary basis by providing farmers with $5 per acre of crop insurance discounts for every acre that they plant into cover crops. In 2018, Iowa implemented a very similar program, was hugely successful, oversubsidized. My own state copied it in Illinois. It since has been copied in Indiana and Wisconsin. Kasten pointed to a study this year that found more cover cropping led to lower crop insurance losses, as much as $40 million in savings for every 1% boost in cover crops. That is by improving soil health and trapping carbon in the soil. U.S. agriculture's climate change mitigation efforts were showcased at the recent COP28 meeting. USDA Ag News reporter Gary Crawford. In last year's U.N. climate conference, COP27, U.S. agriculture was in some cases on the defensive about its work on climate change, but in this year's conference just concluded... We flipped the script for American agriculture. Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack on the phone with reporters right after the conference in Dubai, which he said was a much different experience this year. Uh, There was no need for us uh, to be defensive, but in fact we could articulate proactive leadership uh, in the climate space. For the first time, the three-day COP meeting devoted a full day to the roles food and agriculture play in climate change, and Vilsack said the U.S. got to showcase what uh, U.S. farmers and ranchers are doing in a variety of ways uh, to mitigate and adapt to a changing climate and doing it in a sustainable way. And Vilsack said from what he saw and heard at the conference, There's real interest in what the U.S. is doing uh, and, and interest and excitement in what we're doing. This is Gary Crawford reporting for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. John Deere has introduced a self-repair solution available in the U.S. through its equipment mobile app. Using a John Deere Operations Center account, Deere customers operating compatible 4G connected machines can use this solution to complete secure software updates directly to an embedded controller through a user-friendly interface using the equipment mobile app. Available on both iOS and Android at no cost, the equipment mobile app helps John Deere customers manage, maintain, and keep their equipment running, according to the company. Deere also says the software updating program is another step towards digitizing self-repair for its customers. Fresh produce industry stakeholders came together to launch the Ethical Charter Implementation Program in early November, which aims to recognize and strengthen engagement around labor practices in a fresh produce industry without additional audits. Six founding buyers, which include Costco, Wholesale, Kroger, McDonald's USA, Sam's Club, Target, and Walmart, are inviting more than 100 of their suppliers to use the capacity-building platform to strengthen their farm labor management systems. Those suppliers are in turn inviting growers to the ESIP Lab online platform to assess their labor practices. ESIP Lab offers three channels for engagement. In the Learn channel, growers explore the management systems required to implement each principle of the ethical charter on responsible labor practices. In the Assess channel, growers rank their own management systems, understanding that they can answer honestly because their responses are not visible to their customers. Lastly, the Benchmark channel allows growers to track progress over time as they prioritize and address opportunities to strengthen their systems. ESIP measures an employer's willingness to engage and improve labor practices rather than testing compliance with a standard. Suppliers who were involved in a program's development and testing also affirm the value of creating better alignment with the ethical charter through capacity building rather than through a compliance program and additional audits. The program is funded by an annual subscription fee paid by the buyers, suppliers, and growers who use ESIP Lab. 
Buyers pay $25,000 a year. Suppliers pay between $1,800 and $9,000, depending on their annual sales. And growers pay $200 a year. Founding buyers also committed an additional $100,000 each for the platform's development. ESIP will generate a single engagement profile for each grower and supplier, which they can share with as many customers as they choose. Additionally, industry groups publish the Ethical Charter on Responsible Labor Practices in 2018 to provide a common baseline for accountability and transparency that can be widely understood, accepted, and applied across the global produce and floral supply chains. In 2020, several major buyers and suppliers came together to develop ESIP as a way to support agricultural employers to implement the principles of the Ethical Charter. They agreed that ESIP should focus on capacity building rather than compliance testing and should not impose more audits. After a pilot program in 2021, the Walmart Foundation made a $2 million grant in 2022 to help launch and scale ESIP as a self-assessment tool to strengthen labor management systems at the field. And the Equitable Food Initiative is a capacity building and certification nonprofit that works to improve the lives of farm workers and drive business performance by integrating worker voice and engagement throughout the supply chain. JCS Marketing is your number one way to connect with the ag industry. Through print magazines, digital media, podcasts, and live and virtual events, JCS Marketing has the reach to inform, educate, and influence growers in the Western United States. Everywhere you go, you see West Coast Net Magazine on every one of my customers' tables. So that tells you everything. That's, that, it's there, so they're reading it. Our My Ag Life platform includes podcast interviews and digital articles for busy professionals on the go. Our live events, continuing education webinars, and virtual conferences help growers connect with leading researchers and industry leaders. Let JCS Marketing help you connect. That will wrap up today's show. You've been listening to the My Ag Life Daily News Report. I'm Lori Boyer. From all of us here at the JCS Marketing Team, thank you for listening. 